Alright. Well, thank you all for coming. This is by far the biggest crowd I've ever had. So, feeling pretty full of myself right now. Before I start talking about selfishness. Oh. And this lady is very unselfish. She brought six martyrs over here who didn't take one. Okay. As you can see, there are far more girls in here than boys, which confirms that boys are selfish jerks. Okay? So, at least we got that figured out if we don't figure out anything else. Okay? Um, just kidding for the guys that are in here, that you're just, your numbers are in your favor. So, now's your chance if you're looking for a date at RYM. This elective is it. Okay? Um, Alright, so, my assumption is. Oh, by the way, I'm Adam. I'm the youth pastor at First Pres in Dothan. I don't know any of those people. Um, and my assumption is you're here because selfishness is an issue, either for you or for somebody else. That's my favorite. Like, I don't deal with this, but I know a guy. Um, and so, and it's selfishness is extremely pervasive. Uh, and, I, and I think Russ hit on that last night with the whole non-neighbor thing. Like, I'm going to make a decision not to love this person because of X, Y, Z, or whatever it is. And it all c- comes back to my, you know, what I'm trying to get out of life, what I want. Okay. Um, the thing is, is like I think this is one of Satan's greatest tools against Christians is to, for them to buy into their own selfishness because Satan knows he can't take away your salvation. But he can take away your joy a lot of times. He can take away your purpose, your effectiveness. And so a lot of times I think he's whispering in our ears, you know, you gotta get yours. You gotta do this for you. It's about you, you know, make make a name for yourself so that you'll be successful. And and our sinful flesh buys into that. They're like, you know, our flesh is like, Yeah, that sounds awesome. I like what this guy's saying. And so, and so we do that, right? We, we, Satan's tempting. Our flesh is like, yes. And the world, of course, is just beating us over the head of the selfishness. Right? Here's, here's a few examples. Kind of mad at Russ because he stole a little of my Burger King thunder last night. But we'll try to work it out. Um, but we see all these advertisements that, that really do uh, feed off our our selfishness, this, this sinful nature that we have and, and what it produces in us. And like these advertising people are like on top of it. They must be good theologians. All right? So when you get Burger King who says, have it your way. And look, we, we understand that it's, a, it's bigger than hamburgers, right? I mean, it's, it's, when we start thinking about have it my way, and I'm like, you know what? I will have it my way. And, and not just with my hamburger, though. I'm going to use my body for what I want to use it for. Okay, at the root of that is selfishness. Or you say, uh, all these people in my life, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to have these friendships my way. It's going to be on my terms. It's going to be for my purposes. I don't really care if they get any good out of this or they're closer to Christ at the end of our friendship. Um, I'm just, I'm just about me. Okay. I'm going to use my resources. I'm going to have those my way. I'm going to spend my money my way. We buy into that. Okay? Then you have L'Oreal for all you guys or people with hair. Uh, They do a lot of hair products. Obviously, I don't need those, but somebody does. And one of their major 
slogans is because I'm worth it. And look, I we are valuable in the eyes of God. All right, and I don't want to, I don't want to um, disparage that point. But a lot of times we start buying into this. We think I'm worth it. I'm I'm worth having a boyfriend or girlfriend. I'm worth having uh, a good scholarship. I'm worth, and you start thinking you're entitled to. Um, something that maybe the Lord necessarily hasn't provided or blessed you with. And you get angry and you get upset because again, self-centeredness is at the at the root of that. You start thinking, well, I am a big deal. I am worth it. And God, you're not, you're not giving me what I need and what I want. And so you become angry with God, or at least distant, or you're a little you're a little miffed, okay? Because God is not about your self-centeredness. Then we go to Mickey D's, alright, because equal opportunity. Uh, Burger King and now Mickey D's. And I don't know, if you're loving it, we might need to talk when this is over. Okay? Like, swing by, get a sweet tea, maybe the fries, but come on. Um, But the whole underlying point here is it's just about what I love. Now, all the Mickey D's fans are like, but I love Mickey D's. Okay? It's okay. I was just kidding. Um, But this whole idea of I'm loving it. And it's like, I'm just going to love what I want to love, and you just love what you you want to love, and we'll just all get along. And then we start doing that with all of life, right? I'm just going to I'm just going to love what I want to love, and you just love what you want to love, and and don't be trying to tell me what I can love and what I can't love. All right? I'm in charge. And what we what we're doing is instead of taking what Russ was talking about last night, this gospel logic, we're using our own logic. And we start these subtle messages that are sent by these advertisers. We take uh, and, and live it, right? Um, another one here and the last one. Sorry for the terrible grainy picture. Um, but, oh, okay, good. All right. um, so, UPS, what can Brown do for you? And again, it's like UPS exists to make me happy. Like, they're only delivering my packages. They're only taking my stuff to who... It's like the, the UPS's world revolves around me. But then we start thinking about, well, why, if, if, you, if UPS, why not everything? Why can't everything revolve around me? Why can't all the friendships that I have, I be the center? I get what I need to out of those. And I, and I, I think spend so much more time thinking about what I can get out of the relationship than what I can give to the relationship. Uh, you start thinking about like, well, well I, I want pleasure, so I'll start using my body in a way that God didn't intend. Because it's about me, right? What can you do for me? Or you start trying to get in, the, in some particular group of people because that's going to help your idea of your image or your popularity. And so we buy into this. Okay. Now look, we would never say, because we're good little girls and boys, all right, me included, we would never say that we're at the center of the universe. We would never say that all these things exist for me, but we certainly would live that way, right? Like we observe that in the world, we observe that in the church. And my prayer is that you'll see that in your own heart because... In some way, selfishness is just buried in there um, and motivates a lot of, of what we do. And so, this whole center of the universe thing, it, it's, it's, it's been a struggle. And way back, um, 
this is a very good looking fella named Copernicus, um, whose hair, oddly, I'm jealous of. Um, but he, he literally, listen, less than 500 years ago, we thought the earth was the center of the universe. And we loved that idea. This guy comes along and is like, hey, I'm not sure this is right. Like, I'm looking at some things, and it seems like like the sun is at the middle. And everybody was like, Psh, whatever. Well, then, about 50 years later, this guy Galileo comes along, and he says, you know what? I think Copernicus was right. And now they've had enough of this whole sun at the center of the universe thing, right? And they throw Galileo in prison because I don't know why. We let drug dealers go. They throw the guy who said the sun's at the center of the universe in prison. I don't whatever. Right? And and so the only reason I can come up with is that it bruised our ego, right? Like everybody on earth is like, no, we will not. We will not be uh, anything but the center of this universe. Everything will revolve around us. And they're going to fight it to the point of putting somebody in prison who just suggested that maybe that's not correct. All right? But when when we zeroed in on this and said, okay, maybe the sun is the center of the universe, and we, we took that as the truth, it totally changed our understanding of the universe, how planets work, and seasons, and time. Right? I mean, it radically changed how we do science. This is what I'm trying to get at with this elected this week. Because for some of you, you're, you're at the center of the universe still. And, and for some of us, we're, we're still struggling with this. And we want to be the center of the universe. We may, we may know that it's not the right thing. We certainly wouldn't say we're the center of the universe, but we struggle with it. And what I'm hoping through this elective this week will be a radical shift in the way that you understand how the world operates. That you and I are not the center. That it is God at the center. Everything revolves around Him, His Word, His truth. Does that make sense? Okay? Now, understand that this elective is being taught by a guy who does not uh, have some kind of silver bullet for how to kill selfishness. Alright? I struggle with it. As a matter of fact, we were on vacation. I came back Saturday. I'm mowing my grass. I turn around to see this kid who I own. Okay? I'm mowing the grass. I turn around and I'm like, what are you wearing? He literally is wearing a shirt that says, I'm the center of the universe. Okay? And I was like, why are you trying to mess up my elective? Okay, like you're my kid. You're supposed to be on my side. Um, and look, okay, nobody would walk around with this shirt on besides my six-year-old weirdo. Okay, but in our hearts, that's our favorite shirt, right? Every, it's all about me. Everything needs to revolve around me. I got the shirt. I got the slogan. I I love the fact that everything operates for my glory. And that really just spells disaster for you and really anybody that you come in contact with. Okay? Um, so, 
when we when we do that, we are we are totally missing the purpose for which we were created. And look, I, I've been I was Baptist for twenty five years, so I've only been Presbyterian for about fifteen. If you've been Presbyterian for like over seven seconds, you've, you've dealt with this question, right? You laugh because you're like, yeah, when I was in my mother's womb, they were like, what's the chief end of man? Right. You were like, my ears are full of fluid. Um, and so, but really, I mean, is this not the, the question of all questions? In other words, why are you breathing air? Why are you walking the face of this planet? Why was it better for God to make you than not make you? Here it is. Your, your goal in life, why you were created, was to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Selfishness just, just eats away at this. It is the cancer that will absolutely kill this in your life. Alright? It's not about you. We know that. Why is it that we can't live like that? Alright, so let's dive in because I want to explore that a little bit. We're in camp out in Genesis a minute. And then I want to tell you a little bit about my story. So let me read Genesis 1 because this is where the whole selfishness thing started. And, and it's just been snowballing ever since. Verse 26, Genesis 1, God said, Let's make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created him. God blessed them, said to them, Fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. The many know the fruit of the sea, of birds of heavens, of every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. To every beast of the earth, to every bird of the heavens, to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And behold, it, or, and it was so. God saw that everything He had made, and behold, it was very good. There was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. So God creates man. He blesses man. He gives man a purpose, which is to be fruitful, multiply, and, and manage the resources of the earth. And God said it was very good. It was perfect. God's at the center. Man's purpose is revolving around God. Everybody's happy. Everybody's blessed. Okay, I think that's something sometimes we overlook and it's extremely important to our subject matter this week. That It's not like God just uh, put them out in the desert and there's like a couple of trees and He was just like, good luck. All right? I mean, there is an abundance of blessing in Eden. To the point where if you, when we step back and look at it, we're like, how could you screw this up? All right. Look look at Genesis 2 because I think this gives us a better picture of just what it, what it was like. And I think this first verse I'm about to read might be one of the most important verses we're going to read this week as far as helping us combat selfishness. Genesis 2 starting in verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. And yet, we forget that. Thankfully, God doesn't. Scripture says He remembers our frame. He remembers we're but dust. The problem is we don't remember we're dust. Because now the dust is like, we don't need God. We need me. You need to bow down to me. You need to exist for me. Everybody's here to exalt me. And we forget this whole point that, that we're just dust. 
We have no claim for any kind of glory because you're dirt that God supernaturally made alive. Okay, again, are you valuable? Absolutely. Are you essential? No. And I know in a world of, you know, bad self-esteem or whatever we're dealing with, alright, that's not what you want to hear. But that's what the Bible says. Alright? So, so they're there. He creates them. He plants them in the garden. Out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that's pleasant to the sight and good for food. So beautiful trees. Fruit trees, all kinds of trees. It's gorgeous. Right? If that weren't enough, verse 10, a river flows out of Eden that splits into four rivers. So we've got this dynamic river system. And there was gold at the end of verse 11. And verse 12 says, And the gold of uh, that land was good, and delium and onyx stone were there. And all these rivers. And the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden to work it. And God commanded him saying, you can eat of every tree of the garden. Now understand that. It's not like ten trees. He said back in Genesis 1, He says, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth. All kinds of trees there. All kinds of beautiful trees. And he says, look, you can eat of any of those trees of the garden, including the tree of life. 17, but the tree of knowledge and good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And then he sees that that man's alone. He makes a helper. Deep sleep comes on Adam. He takes the rib. Verse 22, um, verse 23, And the man said, when he sees Eve, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That's the end of chapter 2. Right? So God creates, man that created is, is submissive, every good tree, the river system, the precious stones. He gives them a purpose. He gives them a helper, companionship. Okay, so when we talk about the blessings here, it's not some small thing, right? I mean, it's not like they were just getting by. Like they had everything. And no sin. David says that we're the crown of God's creation. Okay, so that ought to help with that that part I talked about, dust. You're not essential. Okay, so maybe this will pep you back up. You are the crown of God's creation. Okay? You have, in Christ, if you are a believer, everything. You've been blessed beyond your comprehension. You will be a co-heir with Jesus in the kingdom. Mind-blowing. Okay, we don't really even get what that all means. Right? We should be satisfied. Adam and Eve should have been satisfied in this beautiful garden. All the trees of the earth are there. They got one tree that they can't touch. Alright? Here's probably what it looked like. Alright? Just kidding. I made this myself in case you didn't tell. Um, this is not a real picture. Alright. So, you got this garden. You got all these trees. They're beautiful. And God says, look, there's, here's your boundaries. You got this one tree, don't eat of it. So there's your boundary lines. Alright? And it was perfect. Chat, end of chapter 2. It's beautiful. Alright? You know where this is headed, right? we got to go on to chapter 3. You ever read Genesis 3? It's not pretty. Okay? But keep this in mind. All those blessings, you got one tree you can't touch. Here's the boundary. That's it. Enjoy all this creation. 
companionship, perfect communion with the Lord. Don't touch, don't, don't eat of this one tree. Alright, and then the storm comes. And I'm not going to read all this because I'm assuming that like good Presbyterians, right after you learned the answer to the first catechism question, they made you read Genesis 3. Alright, even as like a baby. Um, but listen, this is crazy to me to think. So they're in perfect communion with one another, Adam and Eve. Perfect communion with God. They've got all, they've got this beautiful, I mean, they're just, it's, it's perfect, it's bliss. And here comes Satan slithering in, more crafty than any other beast of the field. And he goes up to Eve and he says, Did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Well, oh, right? I mean, you can eat of any tree that you want. This abundance of trees, just this one tree, don't eat it. And she says that. Well, he said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. He didn't say about touching it, but okay. So the serpent says to the woman, Ah, you're not going to die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So now when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And literally all hell breaks loose. And it's just been snowballing ever since. Okay. So here's what Satan does. He slithers into the garden and he begins to push Adam and Eve towards selfishness, right? I mean, they have an abundance of blessing. And God says, but here are the boundaries. And Satan comes in and he says, you know what? Those boundaries are restricted. God's withholding something from you. That if you really want to be full of joy and really be alive, you gotta you got to cross this boundary. you got to eat of that tree. And then it's like, so here's Satan tempting. And then it's like, you know what? I think he might be right. So she takes of the fruit. She hands it to Adam. Okay, but she prays in a sense on herself, right? She's got everything she needs. We have everything that we need in Christ. We're broken. I get that. Okay, but the, but the Lord gives us everything that we need to maintain our faith in Him. Here, look at this. I think this is a good quote by Tim Keller. Spiritual pride is the illusion that we are competent to run our own lives, achieve our own sense of self-worth, find a purpose big enough to give us meaning in life without God. That's exactly what evil is looking for. It's like, if I, if I cross this, if I take this fruit, then I'll, I'll run the show. Maybe my self-worth comes from how much I know. That'll be my purpose. But, but it's all this turning on my back on God who's blessed us so much, given us all these things to pursue my selfish endeavors. And so what this starts is, not just for Adam and Eve, but for us, this significant battle, lifelong battle, if you're a Christian, between selfishness and selflessness. So it's a daily struggle between God's way and my way. Am I going to build and advance God's kingdom or am I going to build and advance my kingdom? Am I going to be about God's glory? Or am I going to be about my own glory? Uh, one of my favorite passages of Scripture is Paul at the end of Romans when he is struggling mightily. He's talking about that struggle 
between selfish and selfless, between flesh and spirit. And he says, when I want to do good, evil's close at hand. So let me tell you and warn you, believer, that any time that you begin to live selflessly, when you begin to really embrace neighbor love like Russ was talking about, you can bet that from every side there's going to be an attack from the evil one. He's going to whisper in your ear, it's going to cost too much, it's going to take too much time, you're going to lose out on this if you give that to, to these people. It's a struggle, okay? And it's a struggle for all of us. Some, some it's a greater struggle, some it's a smaller struggle. But our selfishness is, is a struggle, is a fight. Because Satan loves for us to be selfish. Our flesh is like, that sounds good to me. And the world, like I said, is just bombarding us to, to, to get what we want out of life. Here's a quote from Stephen Kendrick. Almost every sinful action ever committed can be traced back to a selfish motive. It's a trait we hate in other people but justify in ourselves. It's so easy for us to look out and say, that person is being so selfish with those actions, that behavior, in that relationship, with whatever they're saying. All right? A lot of times it's, it's, we have that selfish plank in our eye, but we can recognize so easily the speck of selfishness in somebody else. We don't deal with our own selfishness. In other words, it's so easy to tear down those people out there who have been selfish and we don't deal with it in our own heart. And the bottom line is it affects us all. And it's been that way since the fall in the garden. And apart from Christ, there's no remedy. You will, you will just live a life for yourself and then you will die and meet, meet the guy who's all about himself. Um, in hell. Okay. Um, I want you to understand that that I'm teaching this from a guy who struggles with this and who has struggled with this. This is not like I've arrived, like I'm the most selfless person that's ever lived. Uh, my my story. That's a typewriter, by the way, for all those who've never seen a typewriter. Someone you used to like write with. Okay. I actually learned how to just for you know, side note, no extra charge. Um, I learned how to type on a on a legit typewriter. Okay, like at my school, not like my dad's antique typewriter was in our. No, like there were typewriters at my school. I'm just forty. I know I look eighty-seven, but I'm just forty. Okay. Um, so at said high school, uh, small Alabama town, tiny. My grandfather was the mayor. My mom was a teacher. My dad was a well-known. Uh, house builder. So my family, and we, we knew, everybody knew everybody. But I was like, you know what? I want to make a name for myself. I don't want to ride the coattails of my family. I need to achieve as much as I can so that people know who I am. Now, I'm telling you that years later looking back at what was motivating me. Like, I didn't figure that out as a teenager. I wish somebody would have come in to me where you're sitting and said, here's what selfishness might look like. That would have been awesome. Nobody said that. So I just ate it up. I bought into the world, Satan, my flesh. It was all about me. Uh, I did everything that my school had to offer, except for football, because when I graduated high school, I was like 5'7 and like a buck 40. All right, I know that's hard for you to believe, especially if I turn this way. Um, 
and you'll die if you're five seven and a buck forty and you play football. You will die. Okay. Um, and so I didn't do that, but I played basketball, baseball, golf, ran track. I was in the band. I did uh, Future Business Leaders of America. I did Beta Club. I did a Student Government Association. And I didn't just like like sign up and pay my dues and never do anything. Like I was the Beta President. I was the Future Business Leaders of America President. I was the Band President, whatever the heck that means. I was the SGA Vice President. Okay. I mean, I was like, people are going to know who I am. And, and I just long for my name to be in the newspaper, my picture to be in the newspaper. I just live for that. And look, I was going to church. My parents told me about Jesus. I, I believed that I was actually a Christian. But I was so immature in my walk that I just made the whole thing. I was like, just me, me, me. Okay? And if you're here at RYM, it's, it's a very slim chance that you're like a legit pagan. Right? That you're like bowing down to some idol. I mean, you're like at least moderately okay with Jesus and those sort of things. Um, and so, instead of just going like crazy wild, like like if like you know that like going out and just getting sloppy drunk is a sin. I hope. If not, going out and getting sloppy drunk is a sin. Now you know. Okay? But for whatever reason, when we start talking about selfishness, like, we're kind of okay with it because it kind of makes us feel good. It kind of gives me what I want. And so we just kind of live with it. And that's how I was. I was like, again, looking back on it, man, it was all about me. I loved it. And so I graduate, I go off to college, and I just go to class and I work. And I have a miserable first semester. Miserable. And I go home and I tell my mom, I'm like, I'm not going back. She's like, you got to go back. Okay. And I was like, but I'm miserable. I mean, I can remember crying about not wanting to go back. All right? How manly is that? It's like a little child. Like, I don't want to go. Um, and so I thought, well, you know what it is? I'm not. I'm not involved. I don't. I haven't connected with people, and really deep seated in that, I haven't connected. I'm not involved. Was I'm just not popular. People don't know me. And and so I went back to college, and I was like. I'm going to make a name for myself. So, set my mind to it. Walked under the cross-country team. Ran cross-country for a couple of years. Got involved in fraternity. Was the chaplain. Was president for two years. Was a university host. Worked with the president some. Uh, I was on the lead team, which was like a, uh, a team that went in and made fresh uh, presentations to freshman classes about time management and all that stuff. Uh, I was on the interfraternity councils, the chief justice. I mean, it, everything that, that could be done at that small regional school, University of North Alabama, I did it. And again, in the name of being connected and serving, uh, I mean, no. I mean, looking back on that, it was about making sure my name was known. I wanted everybody on that campus to know who I was. And it was going fairly well, but I had so many irons in the fire that the summer of 2000, the wheels came off. Like, I was trying to be Jesus, you know, in Colossians where Paul says that Christ holds all things together. Like, I was trying to be Jesus. Like, I was trying to hold that university together. Like, that was my job. Or, I mean, look, and if I'd have died, nobody would even, maybe just been like, that would just moved on. Okay? But in my mind, I was a big deal, right? And in my mind, I was the one that was kind of keeping this thing afloat. And then my world just got wrecked. 
I started I was I, I started being super depressed, turning into some significant anxiety to these debilitating panic attacks. Like so much so I can remember like days of just laying face down in my floor just weeping. And I'm like, I don't why is this happening? Now you've heard the story, you're like, well, we know we know what's happening. Because you have lived for yourself for so many years that that the Lord in his graciousness is trying to get your attention. And I struggled and I prayed. But here's what I would pray. I pray I just pray for God to take away that anxiety, that depression, those panic attacks. That went on for about three or four months. Like I was supposed to take classes, I was supposed to go do this, and like I just had to shut it all down. Because I mean, I, w- I was eating very little. Do not have that problem now. Um, it was just a struggle. I mean, like close the blinds, leave the lights off. I sleep all day. Like textbook, horrible depression. Okay. Ones that's made me so sympathetic to those people who struggle with depression, anxiety, and panic attacks. It's awful. But in the midst of all that, one day as I was praying, the Lord in His graciousness was like, what do you really want? And I was like, well, I really want to get rid of this depression. I just told you that. Like, why are you not listening? I don't want to be depressed. I don't want panic attacks. I don't want anxiety. And the Lord says, but do you want me? And I really think that began to be my turning point. Now, I, I, I ended up with having to get medical help with that depression and, and that sort of thing too. But I think there was a significant element of, of spiritual warfare going on in my life during that season. And it was like, I just, I just wanted what I want. And God says, when are you going to want me? When am I going to be enough? When is, when is walking with me and loving me and living for me going to be enough for you? I said, okay, maybe now. I don't know. And I began to kind of, through the help of the Holy Spirit, and this guy that was discipling me who, like, if I would have tried to disciple me during college, I would have lost my stinking mind. Like, I'd have just been like, look, forget it, dude. You're a lost cause. You're going to hell. Sorry. Okay, I can't help you. I mean, seriously, like, I, that was, what a selfish jerk I was. But he stuck, he hung in there. He kept preaching truth and he kept loving on me. And with, with the Holy Spirit and His His guidance began to kind of crawl out of that. Um, and I, I read this book, and I'm going to suggest this, and nobody panic just yet, okay, because this guy is not Reformed, okay? I don't. He's not even a Presbyterian. And I, and I'm holding up this book right now uh, because this was a book that I just stumbled across can't believe that if you're Presbyterian, by the way. Maybe if you're Mexican. And I started reading it and I said, you know what? It's like my testimony in the book. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? But Max Licato, Christian, believer, talks about justification, Jesus alone. You can read this book and not, you know, lose your Presbyterian salvation. Okay? But it radically changed just how I was viewing my life. Because he talks about your, how, how your suffering, your success, your salvation, all of that is centered around the Lord. Easy read, by the way. Lots of good stories. 
I think it's on the book table. I told them to put it on the book table. They might have been like, we can't. He's not John Calvin. All right, but anyways, I suggest it. Okay. I don't suggest everything by Max Licato because I've not read everything by Max Licato, but this book is golden. All right. So take that. Um, but that began the shift, right? That, that, amongst all of these other things that the Lord was doing, began this shift in my life of, okay, maybe this thing's not about me. And my joy in the Lord began to be restored. Because now I'm, I'm at least tracking, trying to live for the purpose for which I was created. And I don't think anybody had yet shared with me the shorter catechism question one. But I was getting it. Like I, I knew living for the Lord. That's that, And I'd been told that from the time I, could, I was just tiny. But man, I bought into that selfish thing. And it wrecked me. And the Lord in His graciousness pulled me out of that. And look, again, am I ever selfish? Uh, yeah, like only when my heart's beating. Um, but, man, I'm fighting. I'm fighting to be more selfless. I'm fighting to be more like Jesus. And that's what I'm hoping this elective by Friday will motivate you to be. That you'll say, okay, you know what? I want to kill some of the selfishness in my life before it takes away my joy, before it literally ruins my life and ruins the life. Because selfishness, you realize, it doesn't just affect you, right? When you're selfish, there are other people that that uh, are harmed because of your selfishness. And so my prayer is that, that the Lord will use this elected to kind of help uh, break that in us. Okay? Does that make sense? So, we talked a little bit uh, about today how we were made. We were made to glorify the Lord. We talked a little bit about how we goofed that up. Tomorrow we're going to talk a whole lot about how pervasive and ugly selfishness is. It's going to be, in one sense, I think a hard day. Because you're going to be like, well, I don't deal with that. And then I'm going to say another sentence you're going to be like, crap, I do deal with that. Okay? And it's just going to be weighty, and I want you to feel that. All right? There's not going to be much hope in tomorrow. Um, because I want you to see how pervasive this is. How, how awful we're marred because of the sin. Stick around, because day three it gets a lot better. We're going to talk about Jesus. Because that's really the only hope we have in breaking our selfish spirit. And then the last day I want to talk about that once, once the Lord has done a work in you, uh, what does it look like to go and live selflessly um, in the world? Okay? So that's, my, that's the plan. 